Let us pray. Lord, our goal and our intent this day is to exalt your name with our hearts and with our minds. And God, we've already laid before you this offering of song, and now we bring before you our attention, our focus, and our desire for your spirit to meet us here. Help us this day, God, to understand what it means to live and believe and be satisfied in you. God, you are enough for eternity, and you are enough for us today. Let that not just be a sentiment of word, God, but a truth we believe in our heart. Not just salvation for heaven's purposes, but God, trust in your presence here in this hour in our need. Help us to be a church that reflects satisfaction in you alone as we speak together and serve together. We pray these things in Christ's name. Well, again, a special uh, welcome this morning to, of course, our members and guests today, including those watching online or who will at a later time. We begin a series today called Content in Christ, and together we'll examine God's Word as we do each Sunday, uh, but this time to uh, see how all the things in life that we seek after or chase after to satisfy us will never be enough, but only Christ alone can truly content our hearts and our lives. And today we are going to be in Philippians 4, 11 through 13 uh, in a message entitled, What is Contentment? And as you turn there in your Bible, again, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I was preparing this message and I came across a account that I think reflects something of the goal of this series and kind of what the heart is behind it. A pastor named Philip Yancey, shared his thoughts on contentment in this way. He said, I believe God finds ways to communicate with those who are truly seeking him, especially if we lower the volume of our surroundings. I once knew a pastor friend who went on a spiritual retreat. He had gotten comfortable and complacent and knew he needed to wake up spiritually. So he traveled to a remote place where a small church was going to host him for a while as he reflected and as he prayed. And as the pastor of this church showed my friend his room, the pastor said to him, I hope you have a blessed stay with us. If you think you need anything while you're here, let us know and we'll then teach you how to live without it. Look with me again at Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There is little doubt that there are highlights and lowlights of life. And for the Christian, this is true as well. If you know Christ today, certainly you know this from your own story. But unlike those who don't know Jesus as Savior, our satisfaction, Christian, is not to be based upon the circumstances of relationships is not to be based upon the circumstances of finance 
not to be even based upon the circumstances of our physical health. Rather, the word of God calls us, our Savior calls us to be content in all things. And so as we consider how today, certainly in this series ahead of us, and why today, I want you to reflect upon your last life crisis that you faced. You may have cried, you may have experienced anger, but were you able to trust in the middle of it that the Lord was faithful? Or did it upend you and dim you and your satisfaction with life? As you think on that and you consider that this morning, we first focus on what it means to have stability in circumstances, which is the first point today, looking at 11, verses 11 and 12. So for a little background on this book and this section that we're looking at today, the church at Philippi was in a city that was marked by great patriotism in Rome. And so the people who lived in this city oftentimes were military officials who had retired from the military and now lived in Philippi, and they had great patriotism for Rome and for the Roman government. And so as a result, the church was persecuted there because the church was pointing not to Caesar as ruler, but to God as ruler. And so as a result, the church sometimes faced persecution. And Paul had, in fact, planted this church in this city. So you can imagine, certainly, that the folks in that church had a bond with Paul and a love for Paul. And so as Paul writes this, and he is in prison as he writes, and this church that loves Paul hears of his circumstances, they send a financial gift with someone of the church to Paul to help meet some of his needs that he faces in prison. And so he writes this letter after receiving this gift to encourage them in their own persecution, knowing that the church was facing hardship, and to thank them for their gift as well. That's part of his intent behind this letter. And so in verses 11 and 12, Paul is sharing his gratitude with the church, and he's also sharing his relief. But he is not relieved, hear me this morning, because the money came through. That's not where Paul is getting his relief when he's writing this letter. He is already relieved because he knows Christ is with him in the prison. And he knows Christ is with the church at Philippi as they face persecution. He knows that Christ has a plan for Paul in the middle of prison. And he knows that Christ has a plan for the church at Philippi in their trial. The scripture says in these verses that he has learned this, learned this, a highlight of this section of scripture. It's a critical note. Paul has sought out contentment when he didn't feel like it. In the middle of being unsatisfied, and in other times when he had all his needs met and more, he sought out teaching by the Spirit of God on contentment. And then he prayed over time that the Lord would take this teaching the Spirit taught him and apply it to his heart and apply it to his belief. It was a process he learned over time. A husband and wife named Thelma and Victor Hayes won more than $7 million in 2005 in a drawing. When asked what the couple who were 
in their late 80s would do with the money. They said at that stage in life, they were unlikely to become giddy high spenders. They were, in fact, satisfied with their life. They planned to stay put in the retirement home they lived in. Victor planned to buy a new used car. And his wife said she simply wanted a few new pairs of pantyhose. Her response was widely reported as comical. Some even said foolish. How would someone win a fortune and change nothing but her nylons? One might ask in the same way, how can those who have been given the spiritual prize of eternal life not live now satisfied in Christ alone. Contentment means being satisfied with one's possessions, one's stature, one's situation. I usually describe it, particularly when I was teaching students, that it's okay, it's being okay with being okay. That's how I would describe it. To be stable in our feelings and emotions with the contrast between the hardships of life and our hope in Christ. And listen, that's easier said than done, no doubt. Certainly, Paul wrote this letter because of that, and we experience those challenges in our day, too. That's why he says in verse 11 again that he has learned. It takes time and effort to know and then to feel. And for the Christian, we have to ask God to show us in the middle. Hear me, church, today. We have to ask God to show us in the middle of our financial explosions and in the middle of our successful surgeries how to just be satisfied in him, whether things are successful or not. And maybe sometimes particularly when they're successful. Because we find contentment oftentimes when things go the way that we want them to. And we forget about the God we were praying for in desperation before they turned out well. The church, this church, you and I today, knowing Jesus ultimately means this is critical, that our God never leaves us, that he hears every prayer that's been uttered this morning in this place, in your heart silently, in your car on the way here. He knows every physical need. He knows the physical needs you don't know about yet. He meets every need in some fashion. And in time, we are promised to be in a place with no more pain, no more suffering and no more loss. If we will believe that right in the middle of loss and right in the middle of gain, even on this side of eternity, and we will ask him to help us not to focus on the loss, not to focus on the gain, but focus on trusting he will meet us in the loss, that he will meet us in the gain, we too can learn to be content, irrespective of the waves of this life, to be okay with being okay, to be satisfied and not tossed about. 
And today, if you don't know Jesus, he offers this to you as well. To no longer be tossed around by loss and gain, up and down, high and low, but to be steady and stable, trusting in him. He offers this to you. All you must do is trust in Christ alone. And so how can we apply this point to our life? This is what we call the why, what, and how. Why does this matter? What do we do about it? And how do we do it? Why does this matter? Because God means for you to be satisfied in him. So many times we have hard things happen in this life and our faith is even shaken. You want an unshakable faith? You want to be okay and satisfied no matter what? Do you want to have the kind of confidence that goes, I don't really need to know what happens in my life. I don't fear it or chase after anything because I know that I will be fine because Christ will be there. Christ will be there. Do you want that kind of confidence? Well, I want to tell you this day as God's word tells us today, that he wants that for you too. And so what do we do? Well, this begins with examining where our contentment comes from. Are you only okay when the physical is good in your life? Are you only anxiety-less when the savings account is at a certain dollar amount? When you've decided it's enough. Is that just obedience? Or is that fear? Is that just being responsible? Or is that something else? I can't answer that question for you, but between you and God, if you will confront honestly your own heart and ask the Lord to reveal the truth of your heart, he will give you clarity. And in time, grant you contentment. But only if you're willing to do the hard work of examining the condition of your heart. And so how do we do that? Well, I encourage you this day to talk with a loved one about your last crisis and your last victory. Did you scramble and rush to solutions without taking a moment to pray? Or, church, maybe this is the case for some of us. Did you pray and then still rush to solutions? Did your heart change because you got what you wanted? Or were you pretty much the same in your outlook before the loss or gain as you were after? Were you okay with being okay? Or did you dive into fear and despair or momentary rejoicing and celebrating? I encourage you to talk together with members of your family, a strong Christian friend. This is the beginning place of examination. It's really the beginning place of making a change. Maybe even this day you've come into this place and you are in the middle of a crisis or you're in the middle of a season of rejoicing. And I would ask you, where is your heart? Has something changed because your circumstances have changed? Are you stably and steadily trusting Christ? Because the goal for us is to move to a place where we understand and we believe day in, day out that we are sustained in and for Christ.
That's our second point of focus this morning. Again, look with me at chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him. Other translations or versions say Christ who strengthens me. Now again, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi to thank them, but also to encourage them specifically by what Christ has done in him, really to give them a model. That's the heart of really what Paul attempts to do in his life. Certainly, if you lead anywhere in the church today, I I pray that you reflect upon your actions, your words, and you go, am I setting an example for the people who are examining me? And that's what Paul's attempting to do here. And he says, he can do all things, all things. In Greek, this phrase means something like to have the strength to do whatever. The strength to do whatever. And then he says, through him, who strengthens me? That phrase in Greek means to put power in, which I think is a really neat thing to think about. To put power in. So Paul is saying, I have been strengthened by contentment in Christ to do whatever the one who gives me the strength is calling me to do. Not strong on my own and not strong just to do what I want to do, but strengthened in contentment by the one who puts power in me to be content in him so I can serve him. Billy Graham shared this story. One of the wealthiest men in the world asked Ruth and I to come to his lavish home for lunch in the Caribbean. He was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. I am the most miserable man in the world, he says. I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy, yet I am miserable. Billy said that he talked and prayed with this man. Later that afternoon, he met the pastor of the local Baptist church in the area. He, too, was an older man. He was a widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two disabled sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and others. I am the happiest man on this island, being able to serve my family and God's family. Billy asked Ruth as they left, who do you think is the richer man? And she didn't reply because they both knew the answer. You see, we have not been placed here for nothing. And I don't just mean we as a church have not been placed here for nothing. I'm saying, I'm saying you, wherever you are in your circumstance, the crisis you're presently facing or the great gain you've had is not for nothing. And if we have learned contentment, we have learned that we have something God is intending for us to do in the place that he has placed us. God has taught us to be satisfied with whatever life has to offer when we are content in Christ so that we can serve him. Otherwise, we are thrown about. This may have been true in your life, thrown about by loss, thrown about by gain, and so distracted we can't serve as we attend to all these worries and all of this worship of things that aren't God. We obsess over our health or over the approval of others or over the church being just the way we want it to be. 
or we're falsely contented by these things. And meanwhile, all that God has for us to do passes us right by, and we didn't even see it because we were so consumed with the things of this world, good and bad. And for each of us, this is true, can be true, if we will give ourselves over to not being worried about all that. You can serve God in a way that is powerful, transformational, and incredible. And he will put that power in you, the scripture says. But you'll have to humble yourself and ask him to humble you. Because ultimately when we're worried or we're consumed with our blessings, somewhere in there is pride. We are searching for things to be the way we want them. But if we want Christ above everything and we have him and we can have him this day, if we know him as Savior and Lord, then things will be exactly as they are intended to be. In our hearts and with our contentment. And you can allow him to put that power in you. If you'll ask him. And you'll humble yourself. And stop being consumed with the highs and the lows of this life. And so what is our why, what, and how? Why does this matter? Because you've been made to serve. And we cannot serve God effectively if we are so focused on our life's conditions or our church's conditions or our neighborhood's conditions or our country's conditions because we will be consumed with getting enough or not having much to the point where we can't be content with just serving Christ wherever he has us, wherever we are. And so what do we do? We must grow in our trust that Christ will meet our need. We must believe that he can and believe that he will. And hear me, church, particularly those of you who are seasoned in the faith for decades and decades, I don't, believe, I don't mean believe just for eternity, as if I say I believe in Christ, that he will usher me into heaven. I'm saying we believe now in this moment that Christ is with us, now in this trial that Christ will see us through, now in this victory that he is present amongst us. That's what belief is. Jesus didn't save you just so you could be confident that you'll be in heaven when you die. He saved you that you would believe that he's with you right now. In the trial, in the loss, in the pain, in the joy. And that belief will look like trust in those places. Trust when the health is failing. Trust when it seems like the physical need isn't being met. That's what belief looks like. That's what it means to learn to be contented. And how do we do that? Well, we need to reflect on what is needed to serve Christ and ask, has he met that need? Today's application is about reflection. That's the heart of what I'm drawing our attention to in the sermons that will unfold in the weeks ahead about money and relationships and affirmation and health. We'll dig into some practical aspects of how to be contented in those places, but to prepare, we need to search our hearts. And if God is meeting our needs to do what we are made to do, which is to serve him, and we can see that, has already met the need in your life, in the places where you can serve him, 
then we might just be able to begin to trust that he will always meet our need. And not much is required for us to serve God. We don't need healthy bodies to serve God. We don't need full bank accounts to serve God. We don't need a spouse to serve God. We just need God and a willing heart. And so you can already at this stage already ask yourself, is God meeting the need for which I was made, which is to serve him? And I want to tell you the answer to that question is yes. If you will trust him as Savior and Lord, your need is met for what he's made you for. In a moment, we're going to close in a song, and I want to encourage you today to let this be a time of praise, a time of gratitude, thanking God for who he is and that he can be trusted to meet our needs and our individual life, certainly in the life of the church. I'll be down here during this song to pray with you if you'd like. You can confess some lack of contentment in your life to the Lord, commit to learning as Paul did what it means to be content. I want to invite you today to make a decision to follow Christ or to follow him more faithfully. God, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the ways you've already met our, our need. We thank you for the grace when you meet our want. But we rejoice and praise you today that you meet our need. We ask that you help us to not just believe, but truly, daily, faithfully trust that you are enough. You're enough when we don't get our way. You're enough when we have everything we desire. You're enough in our self-pity and you're enough in self-adulation. God, equip us this day. Let this message be an opening place for us to find contentment in you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.